And so, to the very final great moment in film with Fergal Casey, the A to Z of great moments in film, and finally, Fergal, we have reached Z for... Dr. Zhivago. Which is one of the greatest films of all time. Yes, it is. It's a fitting end to this year-long journey. Expedition. Interior exile into the Russian steppe. It's been quite some journey, hasn't it? It has. All about Eve to Dr. Zhivago. Can you explain why this is a great moment in film? I think people underestimate just how popular this movie actually is. I mean, if you adjust for inflation, this is the eighth biggest film of all time. And it's kind of a gold standard for sweeping epic, for romance, for political drama. And it's all of these at the same time, and it's three and a quarter hours long. No expense spared, a cast where everybody in an ensemble playing supporting role could and has played leading film roles in the past. <laughs> it's an embarrassment of riches. Directed by David Lean. Directed by David Lean in his epic phase. Starring Omar Sharif. And Julie Christie. And Tom Courtney. And Alec Guinness. And Rod Steiger. And Rita Tushingham. And Jack McGarren. And Ralph Richardson. And Geraldine Chaplin. I mean, it just goes on and on. I'm glad you mentioned Sir Ralph. Ah, Sir Ralph Richardson welcoming the, the proletariat into his house and getting no thanks for it. And I'm so glad you mentioned Sir Alec. Our narrator, if you will. A truly superb actor. And David Lean, at his finest in this film, would you say? I'd say so. I mean, for some reason, this got a lot of stick from the critics, and you almost feel like they were trying to balance things out. Well, I overpraised Lawrence of Arabia, I think, so I better underpraise this one. Like, the boat good. What's what's what? Why must you savage one to salvage your your dignity as a critic? Well, where do you go after Lawrence of Arabia? You see, that must be the question. Lean would have asked himself, "Where do you go after making quite possibly the greatest film of all time?" Well, apparently he wanted Peter O'Toole again, and Peter O'Toole basically said, "Not on your life." Is that due to the rigorous schedule that David Lean would have put onto his actors and he just thought I couldn't and wouldn't and shouldn't do that again? Yeah, it was basically, if I sign up to this, I'm going to lose a year of my life and it's going to end up with me standing on a uh, fake surface of a lake in Spain pretending I'm in Russia while Lean shouts at me through a megaphone. I think not. (laughs) Yeah, and Peter O'Toole had two years of that making Lawrence of Arabia, because that film took two years to make. And was it, I was bedeviled by production delays where things just shut down in the middle to work on the screenplay. Yes, yes. And oddly enough, you know, you know, you could say that production on this ran over, it went longer than it should have, but at the same time, it was actually hustled along by the studio because they thought, if we get this out just in time for the Oscars, we could get Oscar nominations. So Peter O'Toole had been pleasantly surprised that this time around the studio was kind of, come on, faster! Crack the whip with this lean chap. Get him going. And Peter will be like, oh, good. No more of this sitting around agonizing over the script. Let's just do it. A lot of films in the 1960s tend to, tend to reflect the period, a period of an awful lot of civil unrest. Where's the attraction for a film like this in 1965? Well, this is where you get to, I'd say, the most chilling strand of the film is the diff- decline and moral decline and fall 
of Pasha Antipov, a.k.a. Strelnikov. So when we first meet Tom Courtney, he's uh, going out with Julie Christie's Lara, and he's known as Pasha. And he's, you know, he's, he's your committed, idealistic utopian. He wants to change the world. He wants to lead a revolution. And you see him, you know, leading unarmed protesters in song, demanding more rights and down with the star, you know, give us democracy. And response is, you know, it's, it's one of the most horrifying moments, I think, in cinema because lean, it's all about the build up. They just are marching along this, along this, you know, lean built a, a ten acre replica of Moscow in the middle of Madrid. And they're marching along in the snow and they're singing and their banners are flying and they have no idea what's around the corner, which is cavalry with sabers drawn who are there to charge the crowd and disperse them by any means necessary. And after this, for the rest of the film, uh, Tom Courtney bears the scar of a slash from a saber during this, this atrocity. And this is the moment where, you know, the iron enters Tom Courtney's soul. And so by the end of the film, you have his, he's almost like a composite of Lenin, Trotsky, and Stalin. It makes me think, actually, of uh, this book by, what was the first name? Michael Colchin, Peter Colchin, The Making of Modern Russia from the early 60s, where he just said, you have to understand about Lenin and the Tsar. The Tsar executed Vladimir Ilyich Yulanov's brother. There was no way that Vladimir Ilyich Yulanov, once he became Lenin, was not going to execute the Tsar back. And so you get to the, the end where Zhivago crosses paths with Strelnikov and they have this you know, unsettling meeting in Strelnikov's armoured train. And Strelnikov dismisses Zhivago's poetry. You know, I used to like your poetry, but it's too personal, it's too self-indulgent, it's too capitalistic. And he just tells him, there is no personal life in Russia anymore. There is only the political. And I think in the 1960s, if you heard that, you kind of shiver and go, hmm, what does that mean for right now? Do you have to be totally politically engaged at all times? Do you, do you stop really being a person and become a cause? Is that what the message in the movie is, in Stronikov's case? It certainly was the message for the Americans and the British, because it was a time of immense protesting. And it's, it's almost about the dangers of protest as well, because, like I said earlier, when Ralph Richardson finds that his house has been taken over by a committee of workers who've installed lots of peasants and proletariats all over the place, he comes in and he, he welcomes everyone, and is immediately, you know, some shrill person says, how dare you welcome us? Who are you to welcome us? This house could have housed 17 families all this time. And you're kind of like, hmm, some of these people are not motivated by love so much as they're motivated by hate and bitterness. And another person is always on Yuri Zhivago's case because Yuri Zhivago tells the truth. There is no malnutrition in Moscow. There is no malnutrition in Russia. And yet Yuri is dealing with people who are dying of starvation. And he just wants to say, this is what's happening. And the person from the party says, you are not allowed to say that that is what's happening, even, even if that is what is happening. And the cinematography is beautiful. With uh, the cooperation of both the Finnish and the Canadian railway companies, and it's it's Freddie Young who also shot Lawrence of Arabia, so like that's his sand movie, and this is his snow movie. So you have these astonishing widescreen shots of this train, steam train, chugging along in the vast Arctic tundra, and you just kind of like it just takes the breath away, especially because it's all underscored 
by Maurice Jarre during Lara's team under Balalaika and Orchestra. And Maurice Jarre was the composer he used for Lawrence of Arabia. Now, in this no-man's-land period between Christmas and New Year's, would you say this is the perfect film to be watching, sitting down for nearly four hours and watching? I would say it's, it's almost a perfect time. It is actually, of course, it's on television. It's always on television at Christmas. It's, it's, a, it's a good movie because uh, it's full of Arctic, winter, cold, snowy landscapes. People shivering with their Russian hats and their braided fur and their boots. Even though, of course, it was all shot in Spain, mostly in the middle of summer. And that's, that's an extravagance that still kind of makes my brain hurt. The idea that when they charge across a frozen lake, the lake is not frozen. They had to put a metal surface on top of a real lake to pretend it was frozen. <laughs> the trees are covered with fake snow. Everything has been dressed because, and this is the greatest excuse of all time, Lean scouted the idea of shooting it in Yugoslavia or Finland and then decided it was just too cold. Fascinating. Do you know what I always wonder and think? These films that are set in the dead of winter and then you find out like this one that actually it wasn't shot in winter, it was shot in the middle of summer. There is a giveaway. Even if the snow is wonderful and the acting is marvellous, there is one giveaway, the fact that this is not winter and it's the breath. Ah, see, this is where Lean didn't have the tools available to David Fincher who CGI's in people's fake breath in a cold scene in the social network. I didn't know that. Like this, this, that's probably one of the requests that makes an accountant just scream when they see, oh yeah, and I want uh, 200,000 for CGI. For what? A monster? It's a car chase? Uh, an explosion? And a thing? No, no, it's just it's, they're outside and I shot it in August and I wanted to make it look like it's November. Omar Sharif as our lead character? Better than what O'Toole possibly could have been? Different. In what respect? Well, I always think that Peter O'Toole, as an actor... There's, there's sort of a, a sense in which he makes many of his characters seem like uh, they're sort of in touch with something that other characters around him don't necessarily see. So I can imagine Peter O'Toole being fantastic as the poet Zhivago, but somehow you know Omar Sharif seems to me like he's more grounded, and so he's more Doctor Zhivago, you know, the uh, the man looking after the health of these poor people. Yeah, that's a very astute point, actually, about the difference between O'Toole and Sharif. O'Toole is somewhere else. I mean, he's up in the atmosphere. He's he's of the sky, he's of the heavens. Whereas Sharif is much more at ground level. It's an excellent point, yeah. Right, well then, Fergal, in a sentence, why is Dr. Zhivago a great moment in film? I think Dr. Zhivago is a great moment in film because it has a score that took on a life of its own. Lara's team propelled that soundtrack to a sales of 600,000 in the first year of its release. It's got an astonishing ensemble cast, all doing stellar work. And the visuals, you know, of the frozen Russia and the incredible recreation of Moscow in Madrid, you know, they're just impeccable. And the story, like, it's, it's got two distinct stories to tell. One is the slow-burning romance between Julie Christie and Omar Sharif, where they don't, they, they, their orbits are crossing, they know people, but they never actually speak to each other for an hour and 20 minutes into a three-hour and a quarter film, which is quite patient reveal of how they become connected. But at the same time, you get a portrayal of Russia from 1905 onwards, encompassing the downfall of the Tsar and the Russian Revolution, and it's just, 
it's it's chilling, it's thrilling, and it just feels very real. Even though, of course, they were not permitted to shoot in Russia because the revolution did not want itself to be tainted. And so ends the A to Z of great moments in film with our resident film reviewer, Fergal Casey. Magnificent as always, Fergal. Every single review has been rather magnificent. A good end to the year, and I shall be speaking to you again in January, can you believe, of 2021. Into the new year we go. You are to have a lovely New Year's Eve, and I'll speak to you in the new year. Good morning, Patrick.